Welcome, future doctors, to another episode of the Future Minority Doctor Podcast with Dr. Sulma and Marina, where we bring you conversations to empower and inspire you to contribute to your community and the world by becoming a doctor. Hello, future minority doctors. Welcome again. Uh, Today's really cool. We have a special guest who is a DO medical student. Usually when you guys hear the guests we have, whether they're medical students or physicians, most of them tend to be MD trained. But again, if you recall one of our episodes when we talked about DO and MD medical schools as options for you guys to become doctors, we figured, hey, let's bring some DO medical students, some DO doctors, so you can also learn more about the process and hear their story as well, because you will very, very much relate to them too. So today we have Talia Fabian. She is a fourth-year medical student at Western University of Health Sciences, Comp. She was born in Peru, but grew up in Central Valley. She's a graduate from UC Irvine and has a master's degree in medical sciences at Western U. She recently matched into psychiatry at UC Davis. So if you guys remember, we talked about match week. Congratulations to her. This is exciting. And she aspires to be a child adolescent psychiatrist. So thank you so much, Thalia, for being here. Good morning. Thank you for having me here this morning. Perfect. So, you know, typically what I like to do is just start out our interviews as you introducing yourself. We just want to know who Talia is before she was a medical student. Okay. So my name is Talia. As I mentioned, I was born in Peru and my family and I moved to the U.S. when I was five. Um, My dad did a lot of work um, taking care of sheep in like random areas of the country. And my mom stayed back in Peru selling a lot of um, her produce that she would actually, you know, grow in her little town. So um, my uncles realized that that wasn't a really good life for me because I wouldn't see my parents very often. So thankfully, um, he invited us to come to this country. And that's kind of how we ended in the Central Valley. I grew up in small little towns called Los Banos, Gustine, really, really rural towns. And I lived there until I lived in Gustine until I was 18 and until I moved to college at UC Irvine, majored in bio sci. I didn't really know other majors that I could, you know, take to become a doctor. So I just did bio and I graduated. Wasn't sure if I was still going to go into medicine because my GPA wasn't the best. So I took a year um, to do extra classes. I also worked as a scribe, did, a, did my master's program before matriculating at Western. And now I'm here. Um, it seems it's still taking me a little bit of time to realize, you know, all the things that I've been through to get to this point. But I'm so thankful to be here and now being able to share this with everybody. Did you know in high school you wanted to be a doctor? Uh, Yes, I wanted, I knew I wanted to be a doctor when I was in fifth grade. I remember the first thing that I wanted to do was be an OB-GYN because I really loved um, like kids. And I I thought by being an OB-GYN, I would, you know, just focus on kids. So with going through high school, undergrad, it kind of shifted. And um, eventually I was brought to family medicine because I realized, you know, I could treat all ages um, but it wasn't until my first year of medical school and my second as well when I was exposed to psychiatry because I really didn't know much of psychiatry in general. And uh, my third year was when I was sold because um, it made sense to me and it kind of just brought both of my worlds of medicine and also things that I like to do outside of medicine together. So it made perfect sense. 
Um, did you ever consider any other careers when you were in high school or even an undergrad? Because I know sometimes when we're in undergrad and times get tough, we start thinking about, wait, do I need a plan B, C, D, or E? <laughs> yeah. So I always knew I wanted to be a doctor and that was always my plan A. Um, mm -hmm. But in college, like you mentioned, when things were getting really difficult, I remember multiple times being right close, so close to changing my major to psychology or something else. Like I remember so many times I was tell, I would tell my roommates, I'm changing my major, I'm changing my major. But I, I don't know, there was something in me that I just kept going. I knew there was going to be, there was, a, there was like a reason why I was going through all of this. And, and it wasn't until medical school that I think I started to realize that plan B was not going to be it. Like I was going to do plan A regardless of what was going to happen. And I think, and I'm so happy that I stick to, I stick to my plan um, A, but yeah, plan B, I really didn't know. I, I mean, I always told myself, like, I'm sure I could do so many things, but would it really fulfill me? Would it really make me feel like I'm doing something that would um, fulfill me as a person? And it always came back to medicine. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about some of the obstacles you faced in, in college or even in high school, just because we have some high school listeners, mostly college, but some high school ones, just obstacles that you've encountered just first of all, to get into college and then to while you were in college, trying to stay afloat, mm -hmm. knowing that you wanted to apply to medical school? Yeah. So if I think back to high school first, in high school, I was top of my class, but when I got to college, I realized that my high school didn't prepare me for the level of rigor that a UC wanted, especially um, I wasn't aware that when you get into UC Irvine, for example, as a bio major, it's a really competitive major. But I feel like I got accepted because I was like, I had a really high, I think it was like a 4.1 in high school. I was really involved. But then when I look at things from a perspective now, I'm like, okay, my high school really didn't prepare me. And then that's what made me think of what needs to happen in communities that are underserved, how our education system often fails us. And I think that led to a lot of anxiety and depression coming up in college because I went from feeling like I was top of my class. I knew that my academics were like everything to me. Like that's kind of what's my big um, persona. I, that was kind of my big identity. I knew I was really good at my academics, but when, it, when I got to, to college, I realized that I had never taken AP bio, which was like a lot of kids in my bio major classes had already taken. I had to start um, by taking a pre-chemistry um, class in order to get into the regular series. Because I remember um, going to like my orientation at UC Irvine and they said, how do you convert a mole to a gram? And I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> and I had taken AP chemistry in, in high school. So it made me realize what, where's the disconnection? Like what happened? A lot of that brought a lot of fear um, and anxiety um, as to was I good enough? I remember wanting to drop out so many times and just saying, why did I move so far away from home? I should have just gone to like a community college, listen to my dad. So there was a lot of that background noise in my head all the time. And I think also coming, um, being first gen, we don't have that much resources and money. So I remember whenever I wouldn't do well in a class, my financial aid office would email me saying, if you don't get a certain GPA, we're going to have to take away your loans or you're going to, there was always so many consequences. And I think I always kept that in the back of my mind because I always worried about my parents, like, how are they going to support me? Like they're trying to support themselves and me. So I wasn't always focused on like school. It was always like the finances, like how am I going to sustain myself, not just financially, um, also mentally, but 
I think those are the challenges in, in college, mostly feeling like I wasn't good enough um, and how I was going to get out of it. But I, um, I think looking back now, I realized that those challenges are what like have me here. Like now, you know, giving back to, to other people that look like me, other students. And I guess in, in, when it comes to medical school, the challenges that I faced in medical school as a first gen, basically I didn't have any guidance. I didn't realize the importance of having a mentor. Somebody that you can at least ask a question to about a specialty, um, especially in places that don't like look like you. Like I remember starting my third year of medical school and starting my first um, inpatient rotation. I remember seeing nobody that looked like me. I think the only people that I found comfort in was um, the janitors, um, the RNs. Mm-hmm. I think that was my biggest challenge. Just like feeling like I belonged. I think throughout the whole process, even from high school until now, I think the biggest things that stand out is I always felt like I didn't belong, that I wasn't good enough, and that I often felt really lonely in the process. Yeah. We talk a lot about like many students that are pursuing when you guys are in high school, when we were in high school, how well we did, right? And depending which city you go to and which high school you go to, the level of difficulty you can get A's without doing so much, right? Because it's very dependent where you grew up, right? And and that's so true because you come out of this high school and you're like a superstar and a lot of your value, you place it on academics, right? Because you just did well all the time. And then you go to a university and then you become average or below average, right? Because everybody that's there performed just as well as you did. So now, you know, the your peers that you're competing with is very, very different. That is a very common feeling that many students face, right? Um, but when you're a first generation, you you never even thought about it, right? You just get there and then you're just like, oh, darn it, I don't belong here, right? <laughs> but it's really just something that is common. Now, you mentioned something because uh, Dr. Marina and I talk a lot about our struggles and sometimes even just failing exams and stuff that we encountered because we feel that it's very important for people to hear about people who they regard as successful that we did have negative experiences, we did fail, but we brought ourselves up. So it sounds like at one point you you got that notice of academic, not academic probation, but like, hey, pss, pss. so can you tell us, tell us if you're comfortable sharing um, about uh, classes that you struggled with, where maybe you had to repeat them and just that psychological process, because I feel and Dr. Marina and I feel like that's that hard part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the classes that I struggled with that I think I took like from high school was math, calculus. I remember my calculus teacher, um, we, I just, I don't know what happened in, in high school with when it came to calculus, but I, I got this fear towards math. And I was like, okay, I didn't think much about it, but then it translated to college. I struggled a lot with calculus. And it, um, it really made me feel really stupid because I didn't pass the first time or I believe I got a C minus. And when you get a C minus, you have to, you have the opportunity to retake. So the second time that I took the class, I was like, what do I do? And the, I think the one thing that a lot of first gens can relate is we try to figure it out because that's like our survival response. We know we, we don't know how to ask for help often. So we try to figure it out. So I resorted to tutoring, whether even though it was really expensive, I got a tutor and I realized that a lot of the issues that I was struggling with was little concepts that I didn't learn very well in the beginning, like in in high school. 
I ended up passing, but I think that experience I kept with me for a really long time because I it just made me feel like, oh my goodness, if I can't do calculus, how can I do like these upper division bio classes? But one thing that I do um, recall is when I was at UC Irvine and I was about to go into my third year, I met with my counselor and she told me that, um, she asked me, what do you want to do with your future? And she's, and I was like, well, I want to go to medical school, duh. Like, you know, I've been talking to you for the past years about this. And she said, oh, I don't think you should, you would be able to do that. I think maybe you should think of something else. And I realized, I think that's when I realized the importance of having mentors that are going to give you honest opinion, not just try to sugarcoat everything. Because I feel like if someone would have been like, Talia, a C minus does not look good on your transcript, Talia, even though, yes, you're passing, but that's not good enough. And that's when it clicked that I said, wow, I need to change. Something needs to change. Whatever I'm doing, I, I need to figure it out now because it's not, it's going to be too late. Oh, wow. That wasn't too long ago for you because you're just finishing medical school. It's sad that we still get counselors, academic counselors who are supposed to help encourage. They're discouraging still. <laughs> I'm glad you did not pay attention to her because you you can get a C along the way and still get into medical school, <laughs> All right? So, you know, it's it's unfortunate that there's still are people who are mentoring those who don't know are still giving them this information. So good for you to sticking to your gut, even though you were like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I have to figure something out because it has to work out, <laughs> All right? So that's awesome. Now, with your family, are you the first one in your entire family to go to college? or And what did your parents do here while they were um, in the United States? Yeah, so yes, I'm the first one. I'm oldest. I have a sister that's uh, 10 years younger than me. And yes, I was the first one in my family to go to college, first one to graduate from high school. And I'll be the first one in like extended family too to, you know, become a doctor. My parents, when we initially moved to the U.S., uh, my dad worked at a dairy. He was a milker. And my mom worked um, at hotels, like housekeeping. And then with time, my dad got his uh, license to become a truck driver. So he's been doing that ever since. First, it was for a company, but now he has his own like business. Um, and then my mom, she works she worked at his tomato cannery for a really long time. But thankfully, she got out of that because it was really laborious work. And now she works at like a, a warehouse. So that's what my parents do. There's been no one to really guide me throughout anything, any of this process. Um, I kind of have, have to figure it out by myself. Um, and it's good and bad because I think as first gen, even being the oldest, you have to take on a lot of responsibility and mature so early on. Um, maybe take on responsibilities that you shouldn't have done. But I mean, it is what it is. That's what you had to do to survive at some point. Yeah, so I, yeah, I am. I'll be the first one in my family to become a doctor, yeah. Neat. And did you feel, I know you briefly mentioned that, sounds like your parents wanted you to stay locally, which is something very common in our culture is that mm -hmm. because they don't understand, right? That right. you have to, if you get accepted to a good university and I want to be a doctor, I need to go, right? But they don't understand that. What kind of pushback or, or maybe even just, that extra pressure did you get maybe from your family when you were going to leave to go to college? Because you came from a, what sounds a very small town, right? And you're going to the city. <laughs> yeah. So I had applied to UC Irvine and then UC Merced. So I was between UC Merced and UC Irvine, but I was more biased towards UC Irvine because I had done this summer program during my second year of, of high school. 
it's called Cosmos. It's um, for, it's basically, there's a different campuses in the UC system and they introduce you to different like sciences that you're interested. So that kind of opened a huge Pandora's box for me in terms of like what I'm missing. So I knew UC Irvine was this amazing place. Like I loved my summer there during my second year. But my dad always said, why do you have to go so far? Because he didn't understand. He would say, why don't you just go to community college? I think you can, can't you get a certificate to like work at the clinic? And I was like, yeah, but I want to be a doctor. Um, and then just knowing who I am, I love to take risks. I love to just go out, like push myself out of my limits. So I knew that I would grow a lot by being at UC Irvine. So I just, you know, went with it. And my mom, she's always been very supportive. My mom has been that type of person that says, I know that you have to go far to achieve your dreams. I know it's going to hurt me because I, I would love for you to be at home with me. But my mom knows that for me to, to grow, I need to spread my wings. So that's why I, I you know, decided to go to UC Irvine and I don't regret it at all. Awesome. You do have an adventure spirit. That's why. So you were an undergrad and you knew you wanted to be a doctor. How did you learn about DO school? And did you apply to MD, DO school? What was that process for you? Just because I didn't even, I mean, you were, you were way far ahead than I was when I was an undergrad. I didn't even know what DO was. So how did you find out about it? And then what was the actual process for you if you applied to just DO because that's what you wanted to do? Or did you do MD and DO? Yeah, so I didn't know about DO schools at all until... I did my master's program at Western, which is a DO school. When I was in the process of doing my master's program, people from the medical school came to talk to us and told us about osteopathic medicine. And I was like, what's osteopathic medicine? And that's when I realized, okay, there's two options. Like I can be a DO or I can be an MD. And by being in my master's program for a whole year, I started to realize like the principles of being a DO, how they treat a patient. And that at the end of the day, that kind of went more with how I view how medicine should be more holistically. We worry about the patient as a whole. Yes, we, we like to give our patients medications if they need it, but we don't first resort to that. We like to see what are the environmental factors that are going on, like what other things are going on in their life. So I think that's what drew me more to DO school. And I did apply to both MD and DO school. But the reason why I picked Western was because a lot of people from my cohort in my master's program ended up also matriculating there. And for me, it was a sense of support and that I knew I needed to get through the hard time that med school would be. So that's my biggest reason why I decided to just stay with my cohort at Western, um, then go to another um, MD school. And then from your, your knowledge, how is MD and DO school different? So the DO school and MD schools, it's still four years. The biggest difference is that as DO students, we get an extra 200 hours of something called OMT, which is osteopathic manipulative um, medicine or OMT, um, osteopathic manipulative treatment. So basically, we learn different techniques to, to treat the patient. And those 200 hours are something that a lot of MD students don't see because it's not part of their curriculum. So in a sense, that's the biggest difference. And also that we have to take the complex, which is um, a board exam. Um, MD students take step one, step two, step three, and we take complex level one, level two, level three, which are equivalent. But oftentimes, a lot of students do end up taking the steps as well. Um, it just it's because of a lot of this. Will I be competitive enough? How will they be able to like compare me to the MD students? So I would say those are the biggest differences. Other than that, we still learn the same thing. We're actually learning a lot more in terms of OMM and how to treat the patient more holistically. 
So that that's where I think the OMM comes in. The extra 200 hours that we get trained in is to make sure that we see the patient as a whole and are able to use other ways of treatment to heal our patients. Did you take both exams or did you just do the one, the STEP and the COMLEX? I just did COMLEX and um, level, yeah, level one and level two. All right. That sounds good. Yeah. Um, I learned about that, that it, I guess, uh, and it looks like it's more common in more competitive fields, right? That the students will do both exams, Yeah. Mm-hmm. like surgery, orthopedics and things like that. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So a lot of, I mean, actually a lot of my friends decided to take step one and level one and level two and level and step two, level two. But for me, it just is what made the most sense. I think at the time of but the stuff that I was going through, it just made the most sense for me to focus on level one and level two. Okay. And do you know um, roughly what's like the average MCAT for DO schools and GPA? Do you, I mean, if you don't know that, that's fine. But just because we have more of a sense for medical schools, but not for DO schools, and, and they might be the same. Yeah. So I was doing a little research and I found that the average MCAT for DO schools is around a 503. So I think it's a little bit lower than the MD schools. In terms of GPA, I'm not sure, but I would say it's just probably a little bit lower than the MD schools, but it's still very competitive. You still have to do well in your classes in undergrad. You still have to meet the minimum MCAT that's required for every school, and that's that can vary as well. And you also have to have like your prereqs and all the different requirements that are required for MD school. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of what I got the gist. And I feel like over time, it's becoming more and more competitive as well, because there's more and more interest. I mean, (laughs) given you just matched, did you find it difficult to match into psychiatry coming from a deal school? Or was it just like probably the same as any medical student? Um, To be completely transparent, I think as a DO student, there's still a lot of bias towards us versus MD students. I'm hoping that that will change with time because we are the same. Like, you know, we take the same classes, we go to the same rigor. The biggest hurdle that I faced as a DO student applying to residency was that my school didn't have like a, a lot of big institutions, hospitals, and schools have an affiliated hospital where they do rotations and stuff like that. So for fourth year and even third year, some of my friends had to kind of figure it out where to go. Um, We had to apply out to go to different rotation sites and stuff like that. And in terms of psychiatry, when I looked at different statistics programs, especially big academic programs, Mm -hmm. very minimal. There's not many DO students or DO um, doctors there. So I I do think there's a little bit of bias, but it just depends on um, all the different programs, what they want for their cohort, what kind of student they're looking for. And I'm hoping that with time, you know, as more students end up going to DO school, that we can have more DOs in every specialty because we're equally as competent. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just hope that for the future. So you did feel a little bit of a difference, like as far as like your opportunities and in getting interviews for residency. Did you feel that or compared to probably, I'm sure you have friends that are also go to MD schools as well compared to them. Yeah, I think a lot of, like for me, I, or for my friends as well that are DO students, we always were told, like, look at the programs that you're applying to, see how many DO students or DO doctors are there, get, get a little bit of gauge, like, will they accept DOs? Like, what, like, you know, what, are, what are they looking for? So in that sense, I think we had that in the back of our minds, like when we were applying, will they, you know, accept DOs? Are they DO friendly? Like, there's this term, are you DO friendly? 
So that's something that I think was in the back of our, our minds. But this year, a lot of my friends matched into really good programs. So I don't know. I'm just hoping things are turning around. Yeah. And our residency program, we had DO graduate students. And uh, yeah, we couldn't tell the difference. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Even my friends till today, I work with one that's a DO and a colleague. I think it's probably coming around is my thoughts. So. <laughs> okay. If you can go back to your younger self, like when you were in high school and college, what would you tell yourself? If I could go back to high school, I would tell myself to not be afraid. I think I let fear, you know, dictate a lot of what I was going to do because I said, was I good enough? Was I not good enough? So I think if I took all that time that I was thinking like bad thoughts, like I'm not going to make it, like if I took all that time and just put it towards like doing better in school or like, you know, putting more time into academics or just having a better mindset or doing things that would maybe bring me to a positive mindset and doing like productive things. I think that's the biggest, biggest advice that I could give my, my younger self, just not being fearful. I think fear can always be the biggest enemy in anything. So that would be my, my advice for my high school self. For my college self, I would say, listen to your heart, listen to your heart, listen to your gut, and just find a mentor. Find a mentor who is going to be at times brutally honest with you and going to be very realistic and is going to support you and give you um, a lot of criticism. But sometimes that's good and bad. But I would appreciate that over someone who's going to sugarcoat things. And at the end of the day, it's like not good for my future. I think, yeah, those are the advice that I would give my younger self. Yes, constructive feedback is very important. Just make sure it's the right person that's giving it to you. Right. <laughs> okay, and then as we close off, so now that we know you, I could basically call you a psychiatrist now. What do you want to do? And well, one is what inspired you to want to do psychiatry? Because you could have been any type of doctor. And what do you want to do from 10 years from now? What do you see yourself doing as a practicing psychiatrist? Yeah, so how I mentioned earlier, when I you know got into med school or started med school, I had a lot of mentors that were family medicine doctors. So that's kind of the, the field that I knew. I didn't know any psychiatrist, um, but it wasn't until like, well, I had this, always had this interest for mental health. One of my friends, unfortunately, committed suicide and when he was in high school. So I always had this idea, like, why did he do it? Like, what could we have done different? So that was always in the back of my mind. And I've always been this person that likes to talk to people. I'm very my friends are always coming to me for like advice and I feel like people open up to me very easily. So I'm, I think it's just this nature that I have of myself. But it wasn't until my second year when one of our family, actually no, one of our psychiatrists, our professors, she said, when I went into family medicine, I thought that I didn't get enough time with my patients and like I wanted to, I wanted to like know more about their mental health and stuff like that. So I was always between like family medicine or psychiatry because I know there's so much need for mental health, even in primary care. But then there's also this side of me, like I want to, I want to be able to treat acute patients by being a psychiatrist. So I was always between in both. But I think what I love about psychiatry is that um, you can help people from all ages, especially if I wanted, when, when I want to be um, a child adolescent psychiatrist. Um, I think there's so much need that a lot of kids need help. I think a lot of kids need mentors. I think a lot of kids often face really bad situations when they're young, and that often dictates their future as adults. When I sometimes see my patients that are adults in the hospital, 
I realized like what could have happened if you got care sooner? What would your life have been if you were diagnosed with whatever earlier on? How can your life have been changed? So that's why I'm drawn to child psychiatry. And for the future, I would love to work at a juvenile detention center with kids at foster care, kids that are in the in the system, kids that like look for me, look like me that come from minority backgrounds. I think that's where my heart draws me to and I'm for the future, that's what I hope for myself. Awesome. That's so exciting and inspiring to hear you do that because we do need it. And coming from primary care, there is a big need for psychiatry and especially for people who come from minority backgrounds. Because as a primary care physician, I hear the requests to get some psychiatrists or therapists that look like the patients, right? And then especially the language barrier. Um, so you will be in demand. <laughs> um, very much so. I will, I will tell you that you'll probably get multiple offers once you start practicing that they want you. So um, remember to take care of yourself along the way because you will be asked for a lot because there's not a lot of you of psychiatrists. So, But it's very inspiring because our youth they do need it. I see the kids on the primary care side that are in the system and so Mm -hmm. forth. So it's nice to know that you're going to go into that field. And I'm so proud of you for doing this and not giving up because it isn't easy. It's hard. And we focus a lot on the psychological aspect of things because a lot of it is psychological that holds us back or makes us give up and drop out of college or even, you know, unfortunately, even drop out of medical school. Some of us get there and then you drop out. So I've I've known a couple of people that do that. But thank you so much for your time. And it was so nice to have you on our episode. And I hope anyone who was listening today can relate to you and really find some strength to not give up, whether you're struggling with this calculus class, physics, chemistry, whatever it might be might be taking it the second or third time, just make sure you ask for help, which is something very important, Thalia said, that we don't do enough. Mm -hmm. All right. Thanks for checking us out. Peace and love, everyone.